Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Yes, yes, y'all. This is your boy, Kale. Hey, everybody. This is Claremont II. My name is Mac Davis. What up, what up? This is Boy Wonder. This is August Regal. This is Jade Ang. You're not rocking with your man, Tona Tancredi. Hey, what up, everybody? It's your boy, Pluto. Hey, what's good? This is Little Sims. What's happening, y'all? This is Dame Funk. You're listening to The Come Up Show. Get inspired. It's the Come Up Show. This is the show that you come up on. Yeah. This is the spot that you come up strong. You heard? Seekers Chetto gonna play that song. Hey, welcome to the best of 2016 for the Come Up Show podcast, part one. My name is Chad. I'm the host and founder of the Come Up Show. And yo, when I was going through these interviews and putting together uh, all the best interviews and listening uh, to the conversations, the guests that we had, the stories that they shared, yo, I felt super inspired. I felt motivated and I also felt reminded again and again that we're on the right path. There's a purpose behind what we're doing here in the Come Up Show that is special. And that's what I feel. But it means nothing if you don't feel that way. So I'd love to hear what you think. What are your favorite guests? What are your favorite stories, learnings that you got from the Come Up Show podcast? Is it a value to you in any way? How can we make it better for 2017? Reach out to me at the Come Up Show on Twitter. This is part one. This is going to be carrying over the next week. Part two is coming out next Wednesday. The first interview we did of 2016 was with my homie, my one of my favorite artists, Keo Guevara, and why he feels that we're trapped in the era turn up. And after that is an interview with Classified when he tells us he almost got kicked out out of his own recording session with Snoop Dogg. All that and more on part one of the Come Up Show podcast, the best of 2016. Let's go! Keo. Humble but did is I feel like the man. They wanna trust on me, but know that they can't. They wanna trust on me, but know that they can't. Like why must see y'all would just ruin our plans? Why must you do it? Why must you do it? Like catch him in J's, but can kill him in vans. Rockers and rip jeans and stands. My liquor from France, my denim Japan. I know that a lot of you niggas gon' hate it. This is just music, I do what I can, and somehow it just feel like the greatest life. Nigga, we made it. Well maybe not, yeah, but I got a plan in the crazy high. Yes, this is game by the you know, uh, you said uh, from a tweet, dear fellow artists, I know we live in the era of the turn up, but please, let's not abandon substance for the sake of being heard. Uh, you've said that we are trapped in the era of the turn up. So how do you balance that? How do you stay true to yourself as an artist and give people what they want to hear? Mm-hmm. Man, and it's true. We are really trapped in the era of the turn up and, and getting lit and, and all these different things, man. And, like, you know, I cannot, I can't front on it. Like, I enjoy the music. It's a guilty pleasure. I can't even say, like, a guilty pleasure, man. Like, I dig the music. Mm-hmm. It's just that, like, it, it saddens me when you realize that the majority of music right now, or at least uh, hip-hop, you know what I mean? At least hip-hop is, it, it's almost completely abandoned substance. Like, at least in the 90s or even in the early 2000s there was a little bit of balance in terms of like you'd be able to get like your turn up shit but you'd still get like your introspective your you'd get all these different elements of the culture mm-hmm. and now it's just a little harder to get that like it's a it's a little bit more far, few and far between like you have your Coles you have your Kendricks but you know it, it, I miss it so I've always stood by the by the the notion where like I always want to say something 
of substance in my music. I always want to be to be able to to make people feel something. I want to leave behind like a legacy of some form or some fashion. So that's why like what like the way I managed to you know just stay true to that and still be able to to work out and in this whole thing is how we did it with nowhere like if you listen to the songs if you listen to the if you listen to the 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 content you'll see that yeah it's still music that you could ride to it's still music that that you could hear in the club and you could turn up to but it's still something in there that you could listen to and and take something home you know so so it's just proof that you don't necessarily have to completely abandon that for the sake of of standing out or for the sake of riding the wave or whatever it is you want to you want to look how you want to look at it you just got to be honest with yourself and stay true to yourself and and do what it is that you you came in this game to do originally you know what i mean like we're all human beings so we all kind of like go through these different emotions but all these different emotions aren't being adequately represented in my opinion right now classified so uh, I know that uh, you've, you know, done shows with Snoop a couple times before. You've collaborated with him on this album. The first question is just this is a yes or no question. Before this time that you met up when you collab- collaborated with Snoop Dogg, did you smoke a joint before this feature that you did with it? Did you ever smoke, like, share blunts or anything like that? With Snoop? Snoop Dogg. No, no, no. Okay. no. So, no, okay. So, Obviously, this time you did. You, he was in ha- uh, Nova Scotia. You went to this his hotel room. You set up a studio. Mm-hmm. So, like, you must have been thinking about that moment, all right? Like, am I bringing like six joints myself? Are these gonna be a special type of strange that I bring, or am I sno- am I smoking his I'm stuff? Not, I'm not that guy. With the weed, I got T- take weed me guy. to that moment yeah, though, yeah, yeah, yeah. when he's passed that, or you passed it. What ha- what happened? We, uh, <laughs> I'll tell you how it all went down because it got a little funny at times. Okay. It's a come-up show. we got to keep it real here. Yeah, so. definitely. Um, we rolled up into Truro with my RV. Like, I, got, I bought an RV, like, take my family camping and shit years ago, but we also just take it up with the boys. Like, if we're going somewhere, we bring that, crash, wherever the hell we're crashing. Mm-hmm. So we knew we were going to Truro, so we loaded up. Everybody came. Kid, my brother, the wife was there. David Miles came, and then this guy who brought his studio. And uh, so we were partying the whole night. They told us, hey, come up for, like, 9 o'clock. We'll set up the studio. Cool. Pulled into Truro at, like, 9 we're all smoking and drinking anyway because it's Friday night, whatever. And then we get a call, like, okay, Snoop ain't going to be ready till 11.30. still working on his verse and stuff because he was in his room. He just got done shooting all day. So, like, cool, let him take his time. And then they called us up, like, okay, here's the room. Bring the studio. Brought the studio in. Snoop came, like, 20 minutes later. So, what's up, class? What's up? Cool. Brought the track up. Started playing it. Super chill. Almost just really business-like. Mm-hmm. Like, too business-like for me. I was almost still like, okay, this isn't kind of what I was picturing, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I remember his, he had two bodyguards there, and one bodyguard kept taking pictures while Snoop was, like, just going over his voice, his verse, like, roughly recording it. Mm-hmm. And I remember Snoop getting mad at him because he's like, man, the fucking thing is recording in the microphone. And it was like an old-school camera. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I was like, okay, good, because I was ready to, like, I was kind of like, what the yeah. fuck is this guy doing? Like, this is yeah. in the track. Yeah. And then the, the bodyguard at one point tried to kick me out, I remember. Kick you out? Because it was just me and Kid in there, you know Kid? Okay, yeah, yeah. Snoop, his two bodyguards, me and Kid, studio engineer. Kid is uh, Jordan Croucher's brother, yeah. right? Yeah, that was a real brother. They oh. grew up together. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we're sitting in there, and then his bodyguards actually like, man, you guys better go out, man. It's getting too loud in here. So I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? This is my track. I, like, I'm the producer of the track. By this time, you know, Kid, like, he's not feeling that. So he's like, what the fuck are you talking about? We're not fucking going nowhere. And then Snoop kind of calmed it down, like, hey, this is cool. What's going on? Snoop's like, Wall was his manager, or his bodyguard. I think it's Wall. It's cool, man. It's chill. 
from that point on, Snoop pulled up weed. Hey, class, you want to smoke this? And it was cool as fuck. You know what I mean? For a one minute, though. So I don't know if it was just something that, because Snoop works with so many people, he probably doesn't know that good. Yeah. Like, if it's just, this is the game plan. This is how we do it. I go to the studio. You kind of kick them out. If it's not cool, if, it, if I'm not feeling them, I don't like them, mm -hmm. let them go out. We'll do the track. Mm -hmm. But Snoop, you know, settled down his bodyguards. And from that point, you know, he pulled out his six-pack of, like, pre-rolled perfect blunts that his manager rolls for him, lights it, passes it around. And, and it was chill from that point on, you know what I mean? He was cool. He, he, he asked me, like, you know, what I wanted you to do. I was like, man, just do your ad-lib things. And he did his little speech at the end of the song and shit. So super cool. We started a little weird at first, but by the end of it, it was, yeah, smoking a blunt with Snoop. So that's, that's my bucket list shit. I hope you've been enjoying the best of 2016 part one of the Come Up Show podcast. Let's get into it. Uh, the, the next two interviews are two artists who are from Boston. They came through earlier in 2016, uh, first time headlining show. For One of them is Cousin Stiz. You might know of him. He's a favorite, man. I think he's loved by a lot of his fans, a lot of people. He just has that positive energy that he's just so likable. Uh, so we talked. I talked to Cousin Stiz about on his birthday, he got a special surprise uh, when he heard that... Uh, Drake, no, on Drake's birthday, that Drake was playing his music and with that type of effect that that had on him. And with cuz, uh, with Michael Christmas, another artist who's affiliated with Cousin Sis from Boston, how his chemistry school teacher in high school let him record freestyles in the classroom and how important that was to him. Let's go, Cousin Sis. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Hey. Shout out to the money, love the drugs. Shout out to the money from the drugs. It's just a drug show of money love. Shout out to the money from the drugs. Shout out to the money, love the drugs. Shout out to the money from the drugs. Shout out to the money, love the drugs. I need some money, I call my plug. So one of the standout tracks from the project is Shout Out. And Q, who's Mac Miller's manager from Most Dope, sends you a link to a video on Instagram. And it's a video of Drake celebrating his birthday. It's a minute after midnight. And Shout Out's playing in the background. Can you take me to that moment? What happened when you saw that video on your phone? It was mad late because I just got in the crib like I had just got in the crib I was like what three in the morning some shit like that like mm -hmm. 328 I just got in the crib mm -hmm. and um I'm walking in my room you know what I'm saying I'm walking back to my room and I'm just checking you know I'm, I'm, I'm faded too so I'm just checking my phone mm -hmm. looking at shit like hey, my mentions and shit you know wasn't no hip hoes hitting me up so I was about to go to bed <laughs> nigga check my fucking DM and then I see a cute shit and I'm like oh Whatever, me and Q's cool, so I was just yeah. like, I'm thinking it's whatever, so. Click on it, and I see that shit, bro. I lost my fucking mind for a second. I didn't believe it. I was like, wait a minute. Nah, and I watched it again. I was like, nah. I don't know, and I went and woke my mom up, like, yo. Show my mom, and then we watched that shit for like an hour. <laughs> back to back to back to back. Yeah. Yeah, that shit was crazy. And, that shit was dope. When people... Uh, receive a little bit of recognition or success or whatever, it just turns on like a fire in them where they're like, I gotta go hard. Like, did it have that kind of effect on you? 
I mean, no, I was already on that. Like, yeah. I've always been. As soon as I made the decision and this is what I wanted to do, mm-hmm. I, I was on already on 10 with it. You feel me? But mm-hmm. that just showed me that it could be real for me. You feel me? And that was it was more of like a, a, a sigh of relief almost. Like, damn, like, I... Like, I'm not just, do, I, I couldn't make something good, you feel me? And it's mm-hmm. not just, I'm not w- just working with blind purpose at this point, you know? Yeah. But I was always on 100 with it, like, yeah. that just that just told me just keep going. Keep you feel going. me? Keep doing what I'm doing right, you know? And then that You're was, heading to, it's Drake's birthday party. Word, that just <laughs> told me I need to just keep going, you know what I'm saying? Keep doing what I'm doing. Michael Christmas. Who was who this chemistry teacher that let you record Exhibit C freestyles in the classroom? Oh, wow. How do you know about that? Yo, how does he know about that? They fuck? probably can't hear you. The door's closed. The hell is this about? Uh, nah, yeah. My, what the fuck was his name? So, uh, it was a chemistry teacher. I really, really can't remember his name. But I remember his classroom was in the basement. Mm-hmm. And he was real into hip-hop. He made beats and shit. He was like old Asian oh. dude, but he made beats. It was He's tight. Asian guy, okay. Yeah. Okay. And he, um, he had this shit where... You could go to his classroom and you could make beats. All the laptops had Audacity downloaded on them. Okay. Or you could, like, download a beat off YouTube and record to it. So during lunch, he would let me come in and use the chemistry closet to record songs. So I recorded, like, a crazy-ass, intense-ass Exhibit C, like, freestyle joint. And I remember <laughs> one of my boys came into the room and he was like, bro, calm down. <laughs> I was like, yo, get the fuck out. You ruined my creativity. <laughs> Tell me to calm down. They got me here lit. And uh yeah, so shout out to wow. shout out to that professor, whatever his name is. I was. wish there was more teachers like that, man. I do too. Wow. Uh he was one of few, but they like eighth grade, my eighth grade teacher didn't teach us shit at all. Mm-hmm. We literally didn't do any schoolwork. His whole thing was this year is like it's like being a senior in high school, you know what I'm saying? Like you already did middle school, you know everything you need to know. Let's fucking have some fun, do some community shit. And basically, his whole thing was playing the game. You have to learn to play the game. He taught me this shit early. It was lit. I was glad I got these lessons. Um, what do you mean by playing the game? Like, basically, we had to make it look like we were doing a bunch of shit to the principal while not actually doing anything. Wow. So, like, we would spend all of our time that we were supposed to be doing class just talking shit and chilling in the classroom and then we would take like two days out the week and go do projects like we would paint a big ass mural or something and for that we would do shit where our teacher would reward us aka we was gonna do this regardless when like order mad pizza to school and shit like that like he was just the littest teacher in the world wow. i remember i was had a real big crush on this girl and he assured me that she wasn't gonna fuck with me mm-hmm. And um, he he told you she was assured me that she wasn't gonna fuck with me. Him and my best friend brought me to the conference room, like on some parent-teacher conference shit, and gave me an intervention about this girl. And they were just like, "Yo, she's a tease, bro, and she smells, and she's always sweaty." <laughs> like, bro, it was super lit. They were really trying to tell me not to try to fuck with this girl, but I was I was fixated. I had to, and then ended up breaking my whole heart. Like a year later, I was like, "Damn." I should have listened to my friends. Yeah, man. Shout out Mr. Mo- uh, I'm not even going to say his name just in case he might be still. It might be like a principal now. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Let's keep it moving. And, yo, in the next couple of interviews is, yo, I, and I learned a lot from this. Uh, one of them is our, our homie Relic. And uh, he had a Kickstarter session that he raised a lot of money way beyond his target goal. And he was talking about... Why Kickstarter, obviously, why people do Kickstarter is to raise money, but it's not only good for money. 
it also helps from a validation and seeing that people actually do care and why he feels like it's a fruitful and worthwhile experience for you artists to do anybody creatives anybody for you to do a Kickstarter or a crowdfunding campaign, not only to raise money, but to also to see how people appreciate you and that great feedback that you get. And after that is the homie Shaq is dope. And he says the most effed up joke that life will play on you is meeting the right person in the wrong time. All that and more. Red Lake and Shaq is dope. The next couple of interviews. Let's go. Relic. Um, into this record where it was kind of at around, I don't know, five or six songs away from what I felt would be the entire record. Um, I realized that the last record that I did, I thought was really good. And I thought that it had, it could, it did well, it did pretty well, but I thought that it could have gone further if it had some kind of PR push or some kind of, um, some kind of undergirding that, you know, um, that didn't have it. I thought it would have been better if it had that. So, um, the only way that I could think, like, my money was spent on all the beats for this record. Like, the money that I got from Ontario Arts Council, I spent all of it on on beats from people. And I'm glad I did, because they're really, the beats are really dope. Um, but that being said, it's like, you gotta, you got to be forward thinking when it comes to stuff like this. You need a lot of money to really make a record go where it ought to go. And, I, and for me, the formula was always make a record, put it out there, do a release party, book a tour, book shows. Do and and it's it's kind of like it's almost as if you're going door to door with that kind of method and and I'm, and I realized that where I was missing it was in the promotion and the marketing side of things so and that takes money so when I said okay how can I how can I do this and and we're sort of bumping that off other people and, and there's another guy who helped me uh, decide uh, you know make decisions for my career and what would be the best choice and what isn't um, that was sort of the path that we decided to take and you're right it's been amazing it's been Dude, I don't, I don't know. There's been so much love that came back. It's like some people need to do the Kickstarter thing, even if they're just trying to get a little bit of money, just to reassure themselves that people care about what they're doing. Because you could be alone in a room like this. I'm in this room all the time. And, or if I'm not on the road, I'm in this room, and it's usually just me here, or maybe it's like one or two other people, but there's this tiny little closed world that happens that you don't really see the support or you don't really see how much people are or want to see another record or more music from you or see you play again or whatever so you kind of get it can be depressing you know i saw a song right. on the new record about depression too because i know i'm not the only one that goes goes through that so um but that was the reason why i wanted to do it and it has worked out awesome i'm still pushing it i'm still trying to get to the the higher goals that i've set for myself there so that i can eventually um get the music to europe which was another reason why I wanted to do it because I think that in Europe um, there's a really good market there for what I'm doing Shaq is dope you still have me you still have me you still have me you still have me did I lose it ever been in touch with the music was caught up on a girl trying to give another world in the end, yeah, maybe let's Lately I've been secluded, right. fucked up, I don't even do shit. Do I sound like a sucker when I'm far from a bustle, but I probably wear the kicks to the shoe fits. Nigga, time froze, my goals to another place to erase all I know. Say give me space, but I won't. Feeling the signs close that you about to end it right now if I don't. So uh, you tweeted that the most effed up joke life will play on you <laughs> is letting you meet the right person at the wrong time. Is this connected to that song still open or, or no? Man. Tell us about it. Yeah, this. most definitely. Um, 
the whole still open record happened was uh, I was involved with this girl about I would say a year ago. Mm-hmm. Um, things didn't work out. Um, and it was basically just that whole situation, like just it was just the wrong timing. Um, but what I will say is that I rather have that song than the girl. <laughs> so <Ooh>. yeah, <laughs> no, no, no hate. It's just because I'm so big on my craft, and I feel like that record is actually really moving right now. Like it's at like 94k um, on SoundCloud, which is dope. I'm probably most likely gonna shoot a video for it. And actually, when I had wrote the record and um, and recorded it, when I got it back and it was mixing everything, I was just listening listening to it. I'm like, yo, this is a really good song. Like everything that I talk about, the song is real. What I was feeling at the time, because I just wanted people who've been in that certain type of situation, so, uh, just wanted them to really relate to the record and take something from it. So mm-hmm. that was still open. Yeah. So I, I think you should restate this in the future interviews. Yeah. You should say the positive thing that came out of that relationship yeah. is this song. Don't, I don't know. It's, <laughs> it's your words, but you can't say like, oh, I'm because I actually wonder that sometimes. You know when artists go through some, re- like I think Eminem is a perfect example. Yeah. When he went through some real ish, yeah. then he knew that the next record is going to be crazy. Right, mm-hmm. and then sometimes you're like, "Yo, do artists like want to go through to through crazy exactly. stuff? Sometimes maybe just to like they maybe for something to write about. Yeah. To write about. Do exactly. you think that happens or no? no? For sure, for sure, for sure. Because I've been in a couple situations where like I would have writer's block, and I was like, "Yo, I wish something happened. Like something, something. I don't know. Like a girl didn't. A girl just." Said, yo, you're wacky. Something just make me step out of that writer's block. Because I feel like once you have more stories, you definitely have more things to, you know, talk about in the music and more things that people can relate to. Because I'm really big on um, real life situations. I'm really big on telling the truth in my music. So I feel like, um, you know, going through things when you're an artist, it really helps your creative process. So I hope you've been enjoying the interview so far. The next few interviews, we're taking it to the west side of the city, the west side of Toronto, west side of the GTA. We're starting off with Claremont II saying that he had to get off the internet to stay sane. And Katie from Saga learning how important it is to get your paperwork in order. Contracts, contracts, contracts. And Darren Falana from Brampton had an amazing 2016 talking about why you had to understand your path is not going to be the same as everyone else says. Let's keep it going. The part one, the Come Up Show podcast. Claremont the second. Is that when I'm, you know, doing your research, uh, research on you right now? Like your profile picture, Twitter, Facebook, like SoundCloud. It's all black. Your covers are all black, like completely black. You can see nothing. Uh, and I think you've been tweeting less as well too. So what, what's uh, and you kind of been disconnecting from the internet? Is that right? Like, yeah. tell me about that. Um. I think shortly after I dropped Eyes on Me, um, I I went in with the intention like this song is gonna be a hot song. Toronto's gonna be reciting this, so performing it at shows is gonna be crazy, mm-hmm. and I just felt like it didn't like I was like I'm already impatient with my music <laughs> career. I'm already so impatient with it. I feel like I should be so much farther. I feel like yeah. yo the city needs to like realize like who I am, right? But um, I I just um, I didn't it didn't do damage fast enough, and I'm like, um, and that was also around the time uh, the team backpack cipher dropped as well, and um, when that came out, people were commenting on like the Facebook uh, uh video like, um, sounds like Chance the Rapper, get your own style, and and this guy's a 
want to be chance and blah 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 um and i'm like yo the internet is dangerous because this is messing with my head right now like i'm i'm like i don't want to be mad like i already knew this was going to happen so like the only way to kind of you know stay sane is really just get off the internet um so kind of just like staying away from facebook staying away from twitter and really just focusing on finishing this next album and not really focusing on what people are saying about my music and what people are saying about me because if you look at Drake Drake was um a person who used to get attacked all the time on the internet and now he's like one of the biggest rappers in the world so i can't really let the internet dictate my life so i really just had to kind of just stay away from it finish this next album and then i'll make my return when it <laughs> when it's a when I need to, so which will be really soon. I have I have some stuff dropping real soon. So, KD, like the other stuff, that's so important, and so many artists forget that. And please let's let's kick some knowledge right now. So that's something that uh, you know as artists, like you know you're an artist, so your sometimes your weakness can be business things. So if you were had to go through that whole process again, uh, w- what would you do? I'll make sure that my paperwork, 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 contracts. contracts, everything documented, everything, there's proof of something because we just went on handshakes and my word or your word is your word. And then when it came down to it, your word wasn't your word and you want to say something else. But how am I supposed to prove that what you're saying now isn't what you said before? So paperwork is definitely key. Contracts. Protect the relationship. Exactly, because that's the relationship that just went down the drain. It was a good working relationship at the time, but mm-hmm. it just went down the drain because of egos and stuff like that. So artists, I, I, and I know sometimes people don't want to, they're maybe shy or afraid about talking about business because they think like, uh, it might be their weakness, but you can save yourself a lot of pain, right? For sure, for sure. Darren Uh, you tweeted that uh, understand that your path will not be the same as everybody else's mm-hmm. um, what do you mean by that uh, like I feel like some artists wanna like because they like like for, for example so say you're a fan of an artist mm-hmm. and you are you see their whole come up from when, when they're nothing to when they're somebody mm-hmm. I feel like some artists will try to follow that path but everybody's different like your favorite artist could be someone who's living in new york and you live in brampton mm-hmm. like it's different it's two different worlds so you can't you can't follow their same path to a t because from jump you're in a different area than they are mm-hmm. right so i feel like uh if people understand that your path isn't going to be the same as someone else's path then mm-hmm. i guess they'll, they'll stop making comparisons when you make comparisons too that's also that, that can also play a weight on your mind because mm-hmm. it's like at this age he had this so i have to have this like that, it shouldn't be like that. Because once you make comparisons, you, you you're playing tricks on your mind. If you if you're you could be destined for stardom, but at at a certain age, may not be where this your idol was, and then you you lose you kind of lose passion, or you you get nervous, or you or you be, you become doubtful and like okay, I'm not gonna make it because at this age I'm not where he was. So I feel like you shouldn't make the comparison or 
or try to follow somebody else's path because everybody's different. You should just mm-hmm. make create your own lane and create your own story. Mm-hmm. The Come Up Show Best of 2016 Part 1. And yo, this is like a feature part in this interview because we're about to listen to Blake Carrington. One of my favorite interviews of this year, of 2016. Yo, I, I don't know what to say, man. It's just... I guess I could say the title of this is I went through all this effing pain you think that I'm going to give up right now. This is over 10 minutes, and I hope you get inspired and motivated and pushed by this. Blake Carrington on the Come Up Show. Let's go. So you said that this uh, process, and you said that the show, uh, it took you over four years of your life. What was that like, you know, spending, you know, taking that long you know, it being four years, that's like a long time, especially nowadays, putting a solid body of work. Mm-hmm. What was that? Were you feeling impatient? Were you feeling a little bit frustrating during that time? Oh, man, you got to remember, I was frustrated, man, because yeah. I went through court. You know what I'm saying? I had to go to two, two types of court. I had to go to criminal court. You know what I'm saying? I had to go to family court. You know what I mean? My kids almost got taken away from me, man. Like, I was going through it. You know what I'm saying? And, like, I appreciate all my supporters who were with me through the whole situation. But, like, man... You got to go through court, and you still got to raise your kids, and you still got to provide for your kids, and you still got to go take trips, and you still got to go network and stuff like that. Because you got to remember, even though I was, I didn't never had an album since 2011, you know what I'm saying, which was hosted by the L.A. Leakers. So think about that. I never had an album in 2011, but still, since 2011, my name kept popping up on major blogs. My name kept popping up in media. My name kept popping up in South by Southwest. My name just kept popping up, popping up, popping up. And then all of a sudden, John Tory, our current mayor, says, yo, Blake was one of the best artists I've seen in 2015 at South by Southwest. And I never even had an album. You know what I'm saying? So it's like the process was very... It was impatient, but it taught me being a father to be very patient, you know what I'm saying? To understand that, yo, it's all going to work out, you know what I mean? Steve Jobs in his famous Stanford speech says, yo, the dots are going to connect in the future no matter what. You just have to have faith that the dots are going to connect. You could jot down this whole plan like this is what's going to happen. I'm going to go to A, B, this, and a third. But, dog, as long as your plan A is to make something incredible, it's going to become something incredible. You're going to lose people. You're going to lose friends. You're going to lose a situation. But what are you learning from? You know what I'm saying? I was. It looked like the way my life was, it looked like, yo, he is about to fail, like crash, burn. He about to get a job, call it a day, get a nine to five, not do this music shit no more. Boom, boom, boom. But I'm on these dudes next, bro. I'm still on their next. Like, it doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, you're going to mention Blake Carrington. You're going to be like, yo, that dude, he's 32, has two kids, and still outs rap some of these young niggas who don't even have nothing. That's the craziest thing is that I'm being looked at as somebody who's incredible, and I don't even have nothing. But from my generation of artistry in Toronto, everybody turned into like a, a bodybuilder or something like that. They just gave up on it, and they just rolled with the times. You know what I'm saying? In my generation, who else is coming with my shit, coming with shit like this? Nobody. Nobody from my city is coming with interactive movies. Nobody's coming with fucking art books. And nobody's coming with fucking tracks that are like like 20 tracks on one album, giving it to the people. I couldn't just fit my life in 10 tracks. I had to fit 20 tracks on that motherfucker. You know what I mean? And from like people understanding like... It's been, it was an emotional time for me, dog. Like, my dad is crying on my intro. We're having a conversation about why I can't bring my daughter across the border to see him. Because I got to deal with this court shit in order for it to happen. So you got to realize, dog, this is my life. You know what I mean? And it's been a minute since you've seen. Because 
the way music is today is like we're not too we're a little honest but we're not too honest we're not we're a little honest of the fucking process but we're not too honest of the process if these motherfucking kids knew that this is what you got to go through to do this that and the third and they understood they will respect the business more the business side of things they will respect the hustle side of things these motherfucking kids they're just looking at a quick come up and then their outcome is a quick come up failure is not the shit that's going to grab you right away you know what I mean no classic grabs you right away but I know the people who are going to spend 150 on this motherfucking album, they're going to promote that shit because they've spent $150. My album package is worth the same amount as one pair of fucking Jordans. But what does a pair of Jordans do for you but make you look fly for like a month or two because then he's going to drop another one? And if you ask me, Jordan has the illest come up because his shits cost $5 to make and he's selling them shits for $220. But you buy something from me you're getting inspired. You might say, man, you know, my life is fucked up. But then you might open up the book. Then you might listen to the album while you're listening, looking at the book. And you're like, yo, if this motherfucker can go through all this shit and have a positive outlook, there's no situation I can't get through. And that's what I want the young people to know when they're fans of Blake Carrington. We're failures. We're going to fail together. But failure doesn't mean you're unsuccessful. Failure means you're still successful because you're still moving. You only fucking fail when you quit. But how are you a failure if you never quit? All these other motherfuckers failed on their business and their artistry, so they decided to pick something else and became successful with it. But are they happy? Are they happy? Because there's still that fucking thought lingering in their head like, damn, you know what? I could have done this. And then they see me. Popping up, they're like, yo, this nigga's still going? This nigga's still going? What's it going to take for this dude to fucking quit? What's it going to take for this dude to quit? Like, honestly, he still goes. This is what I want to ask, Blake. You are a father. You have two daughters. You are a Canadian rapper. So, first of all, the chances of being a, a Canadian rapper and making it is the chances are pretty high, like, of, of like, uh, I'm, what I'm saying, the bar is set pretty high, but you have two daughters on top. So, like, what the hell keeps you going, man? Like, I just said, when is this guy gonna quit? Like, I we, you know, you know, I've been doing this for nine years. You've been doing it for a while as well, and we see our peers come and go, and just say, "Yo, I had to, I had to quit, man. I had to pay my bills. I had a family to take care of, and 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 and, and you know, regrets and doubts and like." And they are also trying to be practical as well, too, because that's not, you know, let's not twist it. This is hard. What we're trying to be an entrepreneur, trying to do your thing is the most, uh, the hardest thing that you're going to do. It hurts. Yeah. And and when it hurts so much, people, then, then some people are like, oh, my God, I can't handle this pain no more. I'm going to go get a nine to five. Yeah. So what what keeps you going? Like, for real, man, what? Like, you know, why are you still here, bro? Like, I, I really need to know. <laughs> Yo, the main one of the main reasons I'm still here is because I'm from a family where we don't quit. You know what I'm saying? And one of the main reasons I'm here is because my nanny, my nanny Julie Gabriel, she passed away um, about like five, six years ago, 2010, um, Halloween, when Jay Z was supposed to, when Jay Z was here, and she passed away. And she said, because I used to visit her every day in the hospital. There wasn't a day where my nanny was in the hospital and I didn't go visit. I always went to visit her. I went to visit her, check up on her, make sure she's good, make sure her hair was done, make sure she was taken care of, 
and the more I kept going, the sicker she got, the sicker she got. And she told me, Blake, whatever it is you want to do, do it. Doesn't matter how long it takes, just do it. All my life, I've been around people who quit, let it go. They say, you know what? I can't do this no more, this, that, and a third. But what keeps me going is what my higher beliefs are, you know what I'm saying? And the fact that I'm a father. I don't want to have my kids come to me and say, Dad, I have a dream. And I'll say, well, good luck. Because it didn't work for me, but I hope it works for you. You know what I'm saying? And and the craziest thing is, now when they come to me and say, Dad, I have a dream. I'll be like, yo, that's good. Let's write it down. Let's let's see what's what it is. Because one day, they're going to come and say, Dad, I may want to be a doctor. I may want to be... They might say, you know what, Dad, I'm not feeling school no more. They might say at 17, I'm not feeling school, but I want to start my business and work on it full time. And I'll be like, you know what? Let's do it. Because... What keeps me going, honestly, is the fact that there are people who come to these countries that we live in, like Canada and U.S. They're from third world countries. They don't have, they're not privileged. They don't have everything. But they come over here and they fucking do whatever it takes to live their goddamn dream. Whether it's eight of them living in one goddamn house so they can all save up and then they buy houses on the block. Then they buy fucking own businesses. So if these motherfuckers can come from God knows where and make a place in this world? Why the fuck me being born here, why am I not able to do that? Everybody who is, like, it's crazy how all these things that we look up to as normal things now, like touch-tone screen phones, they weren't accepted. They were never going to be accepted. But now it's a normal thing. But when you look at Steve Jobs, when you look at Walt Disney, when you look at all these people, when you look at that dude who did... um. Fucking Stephen Curry's sneakers, bro. Um, I don't, I don't remember the name. Armor, Armor or whatever. Under Armour. Under Armour. Yeah. The man never had two dollars to cross the fucking pay toll, and he he was so broke he never had that enough money to do it. Imagine if he didn't fucking. Imagine if he just said fucking. I ain't got enough money to do this. I'ma just quit. You wouldn't have Under Armour. You wouldn't have fucking Stephen Curry wearing his shoes. So if I quit, what does that make me? All the, after all these years, sleeping in my boy's fucking room next to him, Akil's next room, and recording in his bedroom, and his that is his Caribbean father, who's about education, yelled, like basically telling us, y'all need to make money, y'all need to do something with your lives. You can't just be doing all this rapping, rapping stuff. I have to prove him that, yo, dog, you didn't waste your time when you took me in when I was damn near homeless on the goddamn street. When Vince, when Vince the barber let me sleep in his goddamn barbershop when I didn't have a place to stay in L.A. one time. And he let me stay there because I had to go to a meeting early in the morning. And then one time I had to sleep outside behind the fucking barbershop. And then Mary let me in her goddamn store. You know what I'm saying? Like, I went through all this fucking pain. You think I'm going to fucking give up right now? And not have you motherfuckers in Toronto or around the world say, yo, this guy is incredible. His story is incredible. But the craziest thing about stories is nobody gives a fuck about your story until you win. So I say, shit, I'm not stopping till I win. And right now, failure, that's my rookie card. Because I ain't done yet. I still got projects I'm coming with. You know what I mean? I started my own business. I started my own company. So expect to see more. Expect me to pop up like the rent. You know, the rent pops up every month. 
So expect me to pop up with something to lead some inspiration to where you want to go in your life. You know what I'm saying? And that's why I don't quit. I don't quit. I even get on my daughters when they think about quitting because I'm like, nah, we're going to finish this. Even if it takes us a little longer. Because they put stuff like education, put stuff on kids like, you got to finish now, you got to finish now, you got to finish now, you got to finish now. But not everybody learns like that. Not everybody reads as quick as that motherfucker. Not everybody understands that. So why the fuck are we rushing? But you got people who come from all over the world who own fucking buildings downtown because they decided to take a risk to come to Canada and buy into this fucking market for real estate. And now you want to fucking quit when all this money is out here? When all this inspiration is around us, you want to quit? You could change the world, but you want to quit and you want to work for somebody else who decided not to quit? Because you work, Mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? Because you're working for somebody else who decided not to quit. They decided, like, you work at Apple. Steve Jobs, even after getting fired from fucking Apple, he came back, he didn't quit. You worked for Bell Canada. That motherfucker, Alexander Bell, didn't quit until he said, listen, I'm going to own this whole shit. Rogers, same shit. All of them had failures, bro. All of them had failures. But the the greatest thing about failures is you don't see them a lot. You only see their success story because they rather market the success story because the marketing the success story is going to say, okay, well, this can make them seem like they're going to have it all the time. But you don't know. Everybody looks at Drake. I was with Drake when Drake was fucking not Drake. When Drake was fucking no facial hair, in DNA Lounge, by himself, wearing the Jordan 5s, I'll never forget, and wearing the Jordan 5s, white tee, black jeans. I remember that. I remember that. And I remember him looking at me, and I'm looking at him like, who are you? And he's like, who are you? This, that, and the third. That's why when I see Drake, no matter if it's Toronto, no matter if it's L.A., because he's seen me backstage at BET Awards, he sees me pop up. He sees me all the fucking time. And when he sees me, it's all love. I don't expect Drake to put me on. I don't expect nobody to put me on. I'm going to put my goddamn self on. But you be goddamn right that whoever is on is going to respect my hustle, respect what I do. I don't have to be liked by everybody, but they're going to respect what I do. They're going to respect what we're about. And that's what I'm out. That's why I don't quit, Pete. So people are hearing this, I am inspired, they're inspired, and we always hear these things, and we always see success quotes or whatever, but when we're going through the, the day-to-day grind, how, what, how do you keep going through that, like, the day-to-day grind? What do you say to yourself? It's like, oh, you're like, oh, one day at a time, I just got to make it through this day. What, what, how do you hype yourself up? How do you talk to yourself? What are you feeding yourself? It's crazy, because I talk to myself a lot. I, talk to I actually talk to myself a lot, too. I, I talk to myself a lot. Like, I have, like, deep conversations with myself on a daily. Uh, well, how about this can work, this and the third. But what motivates me, man, is, like, I live, I'm living right now. I'm not in jail. I'm not dead. I don't have no warrants on me. I don't have no bad vibes out there in the world, you know. So that's what keeps me going, man, you know, that we can change the world. We can change the world. And I had a conversation with Drake one day in his house, in his mansion in L.A., and he was like, you know, Blake, we just made what we liked famous. And and that, like, stuck with me. And another feature part, another big interviews of 2016 on a Come Up Show podcast. And this is truly, you know when people say exclusive, but it's not exclusive. This is an exclusive because I was the only person able to interview Skepta in Canada, in Toronto, this year. When he came down to Canadian Music Week, 
in Toronto. Uh, cr- crazy story. You have to listen to the actual interview to hear that whole story. Let's just say I waited over five hours, and after five, 10 different people told me, no, Skepta doesn't do interviews. I, ha- I-, I-, I don't take no for an answer. I personally asked Skepta face-to-face, yo, like I would love for you to, to talk to me for a few minutes. And he's talking about being true to yourself. Skepta on the Come Up Show podcast. Best of 2016, part one. Let's get it. You said in an interview, people around you have a major effect. Like positive energy is really important to you. When did that click into you? And when did you realize that was really important? Um, just through different um, bad times in life. Like when, when you feel like, when times when you could feel like you're alone, but you know if certain people weren't there, it would be f- like, it would be curtains for you, you get me? When you're in a place where you only need real people and strong people around you to get back up from zero, you start to realize, man, that you can't have no, can't have no shit people around you, you get me? Because literally a murderer in jail right now was one phone call away from a good friend from being in jail and doing life right now. You get what I'm saying? Like, he could have had that one friend, like a man that will phone me and say, Skep, I'm going to do it. I'll say, fam, listen to what you're saying. And I will be the reason why he's not in jail for life. You get me? So it's about just keeping those positive people around you. So when you are calling people for advice, it's always up. You get me? And forward. That's how we move. Uh, in the song on Corn on the Curb, uh, you, you're having a conversation with Chip, and you're like, I'm going through a lot of pressures. I'm too ambitious to be on the man on the road. And you say you're too black to be up there and that you feel like you're in limbo. What does that mean? Like, uh, you feel that you're too black to be up there and you felt like you're in limbo. What were, you, what, were the, what were you feeling? I'm just a new breed of artists. There's not many. There's never really. Or there, are, there were a few of them out there, but. You get me? I'm one of an, of a very rare breed of artists. Um, I'm like a virus in the system, you get me? Because no matter how much money or how people make me feel or try and make me feel like I'm some famous guy or try and take photos of me, that's why I don't even like taking photos. Like, I'm just cool, man. I'm just about with everybody, you get me? No matter how much you try and push me in that direction, I'm ne- my mind's never going to switch up into the other mind, you get me? I'm still going to have the mind from the, from... From zero, I've been to zero and seen that people that have money don't care. You get me? So I'm like a virus in the system and I, I don't want to. It's like a, I'm in a place where it's a definite limbo, but I'm riding that limbo now. It's cool. Like I'm riding that wave. I'm on it. And I'm, I'm, if I'm going to be one of the first people to show people how to do it, then that's what I give my life to. Uh, so Skepta, being in Toronto and you know Drizzy set the city on our wave our city on our wave and there's a lot of Toronto c- artists who are up and coming who are hungry and they're like how come I am not on yet and you've been doing this for a while like for uh, like you've been grinding for a while so what would you say to those artists who are impatient and how did you stay impatient like you know how many years have you been doing it like now for a hot minute over 10 years over 10 years so how did you stay patient and like what kept you going and what would you give artists to the Toronto artists who are feeling like they're they're supposed to be next? I just always believed in myself, innit? I always, like, I just had to get my mind right. Like, as for my talent, I've always believed in myself. Like, 
yeah, I will always give respect to Drake, the whole OVO team. That's family. You get me for life. But they've co-signed loads of other people as well. And then people ain't done what I've done. You get what I'm saying? So, yeah, people can co-sign me, but I... You can't just co-sign people and make me. You get me? People co-sign me and I take... I make the co-sign certified. You get me? I make them know that, yeah, when you co-sign, man, I'm going to take it to the next level. Like, I'm not complaining about, about man. Like... Uh, not doing anything for me or, or, or yeah, OVOs. I don't care. Like, I, I don't, that's a blessing for what they're doing to me, isn't it? Because I'm always going to do my thing regardless. So I'm blessed for them to, to do that and for him to rate me the way he does. And that's family, you get me? So, like, like to any other artist who, who's hungry and really wants to, and is destined to do this and God wants them to do this, they're going to do it regardless of any cosign or not. They don't need a cosign, you get what I'm saying? If it's going to bust, it's going to bust. And you said that uh, the one thing that you represent and you hope that people get from uh, is doing you. You know, we live in the age of copy, copycats, and you and you and you want people to understand doing you is the most important thing. Uh, when did you, when did that click in for you? When did you realize that's really important? Like I said before, through death, you get me. Because people out here, you get what I'm saying. That's like. That's the most inspirational thing to me, you get me? Before, I used to, like, take death in a wrong way, but at the end of the day, I always know that people, everyone's going to die, so in my life, I always take... I always have to help myself before I help others, you know what I'm saying? I have to care about myself, fix myself, get my mind right, and then what I do will feed others, help others, and be good for others, because my heart's always going to be from there, you know what I'm saying? I'm not thinking about or making decisions from a rich... Uh, silver spoon mind I'm making this from a mind for my man I've come up from just like from the low from the zeros you know what I'm saying so I just I just have to do me knowing that every day to me is a blessing from God you get me I just gotta do me and if, if I continue to do me everyone around me is gonna benefit from that and it's a good message man spreading you get me so God's got me keeping it going with the heavy hitters Combat Jack of the Combat Jack show aka Reggie Osei a.k.a. one of the mainstays in this hip-hop podcasting game, the OGs. And uh, I was really thankful to be able to, s- to talk to him for over 40 to 50 minutes uh, about uh, his story from being uh, a lawyer for Jay-Z, Damon Dash, Rockefeller, DMX, all back in the days and, and transitioning to the podcasting game and, uh, and what he also thinks of Toronto and how he sees a Toronto from, coming from Brooklyn. Uh, and after that is Royce the Five Nine, and he drops some jewels. And how everything boils down to consistency. Yo, it's so key. Uh, let's just let the, let's let these guys go in. Combat Jack and Royce the Five Nine back to back. Let's go. Combat Jack. You shouldn't do right now, kids. It's only for the '80s. We did that, so hopefully you won't have to go through that. But I remember getting a DM from um, Elliot Wilson. And he was like, whatever you're doing, I don't really get it, but don't stop. And that was all the validation I needed, like a peer that I at least respected. And I was like, if my peers respect me, then I'm doing something right. Mm-hmm. But you, you dug into deeper when people are saying, you're too old. You're not right from the millennial audience. Uh, the shows are too long. Your subject matter is not engaging. And he dug in deeper. Well, well you got to understand that, that necessarily, like, no one ever said to combat. To never wanna ever, no one ever said to me that what I'm doing, I shouldn't be doing was because I was too old. It's like at times, though, when I t- tried to take the brand from, like, 
just podcasts and maybe video and like going to companies like Revolt. They were like, no, we only fuck with millennials. I was like, okay, well, let me just keep doing what I do. Um, we started out as a radio show, so we, we used to put in at least four hours. So trimming the show down to three hours and trimming the show down to two hours. I got more complaints, particularly when we did our TV deal with Complex. I got more complaints that we had the audacity to shorten the show as to keep it long. So we really never got complaints about that. Um, but even then, man, like I knew that as I was building, as much as people outside of my um, circle didn't understand podcasts, I knew that I was growing a loyal listenership that did understand us. That's really who I focus on. Mm-hmm. Uh, stay in your lane, master your craft. That's what Chris Lighty said. Um, how do you know that you are in your lane, that you are on the right path? You know, because there's always, you know, I think the one thing is like knowing that you're on the right path and then you got to put in the work. That's another thing. But like the people who don't have direction or are trying to find out if they're doing the right thing or not. I mean, you know, so that was something that was a very pivotal episode for me because um, this was in early 2015. The show was changing again. Uh, Just Blaze had left. We had to let Ben Hameen go because SoundCloud and their requirements for no music. Um, Dallas Penn left. Um, it was me and Premium Pete, and we were trying to figure out the direction of the show. And I remember having Jessica Rosenblum come on as a guest, and not even knowing, you know, the impact she would have, like because I didn't know if she would resonate with my audience, and then she just did. But then, the story she told about the word, the wise words that you just said from Chris Lighty, like stay in your lane and master your lane, and I got it because at the time. Not only was the show going through a lot of changes, but we had just ended our deal with, with Complex. And I was looking at what other people were doing, and this person has Crown, and this person has this and that. So I was really spending my time trying to figure out what the next deal was. Like I was, like, I was addicted to a deal, like a TV deal. I got to get a TV deal. And in the meanwhile, you know, my core audience was like, your show sucks, or it's starting to suck. So when Jessica said that, I was like, you know what, I'm, I'm jumping out looking at everybody else's lane. I'm not in my lane. So I just do my, I, I, I keep saying this all the time, but my show's like a silo. I'm just like, I get in the silo and I just lock all the windows and I shut all the shutters down and all I see is the show. And I record the show. I put that shit out, look at the numbers a little bit, then go into my silo and look at the, so I just, you know, it's really just like locking yourself in and focusing, like stay in your lane, master your, master your lane, master your lane. And that's, that's, that was some really, great necessary advice that I needed at the time mm-hmm. you know you know you know when you're jumping out your lane you know when you're trying to do some shit that somebody else is doing and you know I should have learned back from the 90s when I did so many deals with so many capable producers so many capable upcoming executives but Puffy was so hot that everybody 90% of those guys copied Puffy and followed his blueprint and they're not in the game right now when they could have just stayed in their lane and mastered their craft so I've seen it in terms of inspiration, uh, star from, you know, he was a hot 97 personality, Howard Stern, the people that you definitely look up to and um, uh, tell me what, what, it is, what it is about those personalities that you really admire. Um, Charlemagne, um, uh, what I admire about him is I process, I think that I process information slow. He processes things so quickly. Royce the 5'9". And when I'm in the studio, it's such a laid back, it's a patience thing with me in the studio. You know, there's no thing there's no thing that I feel can happen in the studio that's gonna drive me to create. All I gotta do, all I can do is lay back and wait on those thoughts to hit me. 
I just got to lay back and wait. So I turn the beat on and I pace around. Sometimes I'm on Twitter. I'm going in and out of my app for Twitter. I'm checking emails, answering my phone. You know, I may think of a line, jot it down. All while the beat's just playing on loop and I'm just pacing around. You know, and I don't look at the clock. I don't say, yo, I got to be out of here by two. You know what I mean? Like, I don't do that. I just take my time. And then I just nurse it. I nurse the songs until they're to the point where I feel like they're right. And how does that process compare to maybe five, six years ago when you... (laughs) When I was drinking? Yeah. It all happened from the bottle. You know what I mean? Like, I go, I stop on the way to the studio, get a bottle. I set it on the table when I get to the studio, and then I'm pacing around drinking. And the more I drink, the less I care. You know what I mean? So it's like I'm writing... And I'm not as meticulous because I'm drinking and I'm going in a booth laying whatever I got. And it comes out with a recklessness to it that people happen to like at that time. And that's the thing, though. You said you were really good at drinking. Mm -hmm. Like you could drink, you know, tequila, a bottle of tequila, and people not know if you're really drunk and conduct an intelligent conversation. Well, yeah. I mean, it's it's just building up a tolerance. That's all I did. You know, um, I didn't start drinking until I was 21. But when you literally drink every day for like eight to ten years straight, eventually the liquor is not going to hit you the same as it used to. You know, especially since I, I wasn't a shot drinker. I was a binge drinker. What I would do is I would pour out a bottle of, of uh, water, water bottle, and then I fill it up with clear Patron. And then it just looked like I got water in the bottle and I just carry it with me throughout the day, just sipping it, sipping it just steady throughout the day consistently sipping it throughout the day and then like I never really reached the status of drunk in my day I just keep a dope buzz all the way and then by the time I'm about to go to sleep that's when it all hit me and I'm just sloppy and that was like a regular day for me I drank every day like I was partying for something like I was celebrating something if you don't know the name of Yogi the producer you definitely have heard of this music he's produced for Sean Leon amongst many other people Cardinal Official and is responsible for some heavy hitters, some hits this past year in 2016. And I'm glad to to be able to talk to him while he's underground, while he's working on music all of, all of his waking hours 24-7. But he is a human being, and he is a creative, and he also struggles like the, like a, a lot of people on uh, and talking about those struggles and on how you can be as positive as you can, but you're still, uh, you know, when you're still struggling and when you're still worrying about how to pay the rent, what that real struggle is like. Uh, after that, Jade Inc., also one of the main artists, R&B artists, who's had a wonderful year. Her, her song got uh, featured on Power, the TV show, uh, and she talks about how to have the right balance, the right team, and why patience is really important to that. And we're going to uh, end it off this set with Shad talking about, if you remember the song, Yeah, I Get It, when he says, maybe I'm still saying because I don't blog or Twitter, and he's talking about what how he feels about social media, especially you know hosting Q and not now uh, moving past CBC and Q that uh, era of his life, that transition and phase of his life. What he feels about social media. Yogi the producer. So you're an optimist. You take it day by day, and people kind of undervalue your attitude attitudes, mm-hmm. eh? Like. When people say, you know, when you when you're when you're optimistic, mm-hmm. you really are defining your own world, whether people want to believe it or not, right? Mm-hmm. Because, and I'm glad that you said that because sometimes you'll you'll find like you're trying to be so positive and you know optimistic, and 
it's like it's hard because of life is still smacking you in exactly, the face. Exactly, bro. I'm, I mean, I'm not gonna lie to you. I'm not making yeah. money, bro. I'm not like rich. I, I don't. I'm not making money. Mm-hmm. So it's tough. Like I get up every day and I still have to try and like figure out how am I paying rent this month? You know, how am I gonna pay these bills? Like I still have to get up and grind. So it's man, like. It's hard to be positive, you know? It's so hard. Yeah. And it's hard to be an entrepreneur. It's hard to also want to live off your craft. And then there's that thing where, you know, you love your craft, but then if you're putting too much pressure on it, like, to make financially, that you can, like, possibly fall out of love with it as mm. well. And that's very, very, very... So I really appreciate your candidacy right now because this is the Canadian music industry, and I don't know how many people, rappers or producers, are making... Uh, a killing off it financially, mm-hmm. right? Like, mm-hmm. it takes time it takes to get time. there. So you're saying you're focused, are you focused on this 100% and you're basically asking yourself questions like, how am I going to pay my rent at the end of the month? Legit, bro. Like, yeah. legit. I get up every day. That's all I do. Music, bro. I don't do anything else. I mean, my thing is I enjoy creating. So you realize that I've been doing like a lot of artwork. So Savannah's last track, I did her artwork, KO stuff. I'm uh, one of my uh, artists, Ashley Scarrett. I do all their artwork. So Good, the graphics. Yeah, the graphics for the releases. Yeah. Because I enjoy doing that, you know. So, oh. yeah, it's it's like I have to use these talents to still pay bills at the end of the day. And like I said, I do music 100. Like every day I get up and I do music. So it's it's so tough, man. And like, thankfully, like, I have people around me who are very supportive, and and it makes it a little easier. But at the end of the day, it's life hits you, bro, and there's no like you do. You have to deal with it, but it's still tough, you know. Being, you know, how it is as a crea- as a creative, people mm-hmm. don't respect your craft. You know, like it's hard for the people who want you to pay, like who want you know you want to get their money. Like the bigger corporations, it's hard to like get to these people because the market is so saturated like there's so many other producers so, so many other talent. people you know like that's the one thing about in Toronto yeah. it's like it, there's so much talent in the city so you release your uh, debut beat tape on SoundCloud uh, titled uh, Petronella Petronella yes that's after your mom Jade, Jade Inc. How do you do your diligence when you to see like this person is the real thing so you don't waste your time and because having the wrong team can also mess up your career. There's a lot of artists who are not around today who are super talented. I bet you some of that is their management team and the wrong decisions. So how do you do your due diligence and like know that? I research everybody. Yeah. You know, Google is your friend. You got to ask around to different people, word of mouth. And you also got to go with your gut feeling. Very, very important. If you if something doesn't feel right, it is not right. I meet up with people, I have conversations with them, I sit down, I talk with them, I see if they follow up. Like, you know what I mean? This whole routine and just seeing how serious they are, how serious maybe I am with them. I make sure that uh, if they say they're going to do something, they're going to do it. You know what I mean? you got to kind of test the waters, and on both sides as well, if I fit them, if we we both fit as a family to work together. So Mm -hmm. um, it's just make sure that their work speak for themselves. Mm -hmm. 
and they can definitely help me with that. I'm not quick to just be like, okay, I'm ready for, I'm so eager, I'm ready to be signed. You know what I mean? Like, that's not really even the game right now. Like You're not desperate. Nah, like, I'm not even, I'm, I'm good with the grind right now because there's been so many, there's so many people that get so excited, then they go nowhere with it because of the excitement of just, I want to mm-hmm. be signed to a label, and it just looks good to be signed to a label. But behind the scenes, like, we, we might know, like, you get signed, it's work, it's more work now, nothing doesn't stop, this is where it really starts, you know what I mean? So testing out their ability and testing out their word and make sure that everything stands and that it fits what you're doing. You know, it takes time, but you got to just go with your gut feeling. So you're saying it takes time, you sound pretty calm about things. A lot of artists that I talk about, you know, in terms of patience, like, how come I'm not on yet? Like, I'm better than that next person. Yo, I'm hot. Like, I ain't, I ain't where I'm supposed to be yet. Like, do you ever go through things like that? And how do you manage? I used to. I used, used to. to. I used to. I used to say things like that. Like, man, I should be on right now. Man, I should be popping. But I think I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. And I think everybody in general is exactly where you're supposed to be. You know what I mean? Um, nothing happened before it's time. I needed to learn patience, you know, um, because I might get it and lose it right away. You know, I might get it and don't know how to handle it, don't know how to talk. You know what I mean? Like, I had to go through a process, even with doing interviews. I didn't, I didn't care to do interviews. I was just like, I'm cool with giving my music. I didn't care to talk to nobody. I'm, I'm good. I didn't, I didn't, didn't, one time I didn't really, wasn't even really doing shows. You know what I mean? Um, it was just kind of like a process for me of getting everything. I was like, yeah, let me just kind of put myself out there a little bit more. I'm a little bit of a mystery to people. I'm just dropping songs out of nowhere, you know? Who is this girl? For real, you know? But, um... It's just, it's just patience. I'm not, I, I want to get there, but I want it to be right. I don't want to just jump for it because when you're too excited about it and you're impatient, you get the wrong things. So I'm very happy with where I am right now. And, and a lot of times you have to grow as a person, you know what I mean, for your artistry to grow as well. And I'm definitely in that mode and in that space of me growing personally to get to, to make sure that when I get there, everything is good, that I stay true to myself. Mm-hmm. So that's very important. Yeah. You, you drop this track, yeah, I get it, where where the lines are. Uh, maybe I'm not big because I don't blog or Twitter. Uh, mm-hmm. Like, looking back, at like, from 2010 to now, do you still kind of, like, maintain the same attitude towards social media? Or you know, it's, funny. Getting... I, I, it's funny, I actually wrote a, a line that will probably appear on a song soon where I say, maybe I'm still sane because I don't blog. Because, <laughs> that, um, uh, you know... I feel like I really, you know, it's funny, but on another note, like on a more serious note, I feel like there's a lot of, of anxiety these days and a lot of worry. And I feel like a lot of that um, comes down to how insanely, you know, connected and stimulated we are. Um, and uh, and so, yeah, kind of reflecting back on six years ago, I kind of say maybe I'm still sane because I don't blog or Twitter. Like maybe that's, that's given me uh a bit of peace of mind. Um, I've, I've never been kind of mad at social media, but it is a little bit foreign to me mm-hmm. um, and a little bit too much, too much for me. Definitely, you know, I definitely, I kind of look at my life and go, I have certain responsibilities, things that I, I, I consider my responsibilities and I don't have a ton of time left over to, um, to communicate on a level that is a little bit superficial. If yeah. I were to that just because I don't really know how to do any more than that on social media. So, um, yeah, I actually think I have the exact same relationship to it where it's like I'm not mad at it, but I just I don't really know how to get it. Yeah, you're, you're just kind of shying away from it.
Martin Palmer was one of the interviews this year where I didn't really, he's not a musician, he's a big fan of music, he's a comedian, he's a host, he's a YouTube personality, so I was going a little bit to the left or not interviewing an, a rapper or a singer or a producer, but yo, he dropped some jewels and uh, an amazing story that he tells us when he was a dishwasher and it clicking on his head, yo, why am I still a dishwasher when I got all this momentum going? And right after that is the songstress, Adria Kane, talking about how she's tired of living broke, but she loves this ish. Let's get it. Marlon Palmer, a.k.a. That Dude McFly. I kept grinding, kept grinding, and one day I was working a dishwashing job. I must have went to the store to get something to eat. And on the way there, I took three pictures with fans or viewers or whatever. And I'm just like, what am I doing? With, like, why am I doing this job? Like, forget this. So I quit the dishwashing job that day. Uh, I went home, and I'm like, all right, I'm going to make a YouTube video every single day for, the, for this month. Like, I, I sat down there, came up with mad ideas. That's how Ask McFly came to be. I was just like, okay, I'm going to grind this out. If I can make my rent, I'm doing YouTube and YouTube only. I did it. Like, I made, like, probably 20 videos that month, and I grinded out, made my rent, and I was like, okay, I could do this. I could, I could make this stable, and, and I, that's what I've been doing ever since. So take me that moment when you're a dishwasher and you're walking to get some food. What were you getting, Manchuac or something like that? Something like that, man. I was, getting, I was actually getting Chinese food. It was Vietnamese food, yeah. yeah. And then you, you hit this moment, and you're like, what the F am I doing right now? I'm literally walking two blocks and I take three pictures three people recognize me and I'm just like this is such a juxtaposition I'm like I'm getting taking pictures and I'm in a dishwashing uniform and I'm taking pictures for being popular like this isn't it's not equating this doesn't make sense and so like I just went with my intuition I'm like you know what I'm gonna just try the YouTube thing like <laughs> if this isn't confirm it nothing else will you know what I mean was there a little bit of fear there when quitting a job and you have to pay for rent oh, and yeah. you're relying on YouTube like what what year is this there's a little bit of fear there this was like 2013 mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. there's a little bit of fear there but it's like with me I don't know I just once I set my mind to something or like I think that something's gonna go a certain way I just follow that and like it eventually works itself out with me everything is just working itself out mm-hmm. now, I don't know if you ever seen that Seinfeld episode where Jerry like everything evens out for him like stuff's going bad for for Costanza stuff's going bad for great for Elaine Seinfeld is just even keel like everything that's how it works with me like everything just evens out Adria King
King Soul. So King Thumb in the song that you say in the this is on what we're talking about reverse psychology. I don't want a job. I'm tired of living broke, trying to chase this dream, but I love this shit. I want you to tell me about that journey of that struggle of loving what you do and you putting your soul into it, but maybe the dollars don't equate to the effort that you put into it. And then, but like, you can't imagine yourself being an assistant manager at a store or something like that. Yeah, no, I've like done it all. Like I've worked so many different places, mainly in retail for like my whole life since I was like 16. And I just, when I started really doing music seriously, like I remember my last job that I had, um, I was working at Lids, the hat store, and I was working there for four years. And I was basically like assistant manager. I was running the store by myself sometimes, like opening and closing. And I remember I would just go into work and like, this is when my music career really started to like take off. Um, and like I was just like I felt like I literally felt like I was dying like there was a part of me that was just like like you can't breathe why am I here yeah like literally like I felt like I was suffocating and like there was times when I literally just wanted to like just leave the store (laughs) just like drop everything like don't even lock it just like walk out and just like don't come back but I knew logically I couldn't do that so I was like I literally one day when I knew that I wasn't opening I just didn't show up for work and my manager she already knew because I I spoke to her about it numerous times and she just sent me a message and she's like listen I know that you're probably quitting so she's like just she's like just do me a favor and just like give in your three weeks notice so I can make it seem like you handed it in so that you don't get messed over by like the management or whatever um but yeah after that um I just went straight like into just being an artist full-time and it was like the most difficult thing like because you don't have any money now at this point so you can't invest in yourself really and like you're kind of just relying on like people that hopefully believe in you enough to like help you like do things for free like studio time and like uh, photo shoots and that kind of stuff but like in this city I feel like nobody's in the mentality of actually like working together as opposed to like oh if you pay me I'll do this for you you know what I mean so I feel like everyone's just money 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 now so it was very difficult for me to like get anything done because everybody was expecting me to pay them or like nobody would take me seriously because Let's say I had a studio session booked with someone. If somebody else came in and offered them money, they would run to them because they offered them money as opposed to like just staying with me and building and growing with me to get somewhere. So mm-hmm. that was very like demotivating for me and like discouraging because then I'm just like, but I really want to do this, but I just I just need you to like, you know, take the time to like build with me so that we can both like flourish together and like make as much money as you want to make, but like together, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. so nobody was really in that mentality. So that was difficult for me. So then I started looking for jobs, like just little jobs that I could be flexible with my career and work and that did not work out like I would get like temporary seasonal jobs that were barely paying me anything and then I had like like phone bills and rent to pay so I basically had no money and then because I was working I had no time to make music so it was just like it came to a point where like I literally had to start being like everybody in the city and like expecting money so anytime anybody asked me for a show there was no more favors I was like you have to pay me and like anytime and like it just turned into a thing where I didn't feel like I was doing it for genuine reasons anymore because of work. I think now I'm in a better place where I'm like, okay, I understand like where certain people are at. Um, if certain people come at me in a certain way and say, can you do this show for me? I'm probably going to charge them de- depending on my relationship with them in the past or whatever the case may be. But if I have like genuine people that I know that are in the same place as me, I'll be more than willing to do whatever it is they want me to do like free of charge. Yo, one of the best stories of this year, one of the best gets as well too, Ron Gilmore Jr., he is a keyboardist for J. Cole, a producer for Dreamville, and tells me the amazing story of how moving from, he's from Nashville, Tennessee, moving to New York City, and then when the guy who he moved in with uh, had to move out, he had no money, he didn't have a place to live, and this 
and just that's what happened right after that. That's a, it's a crazy story. And right after that, homie Pluto, the ninth wonder from Toronto, R&B singer, and dropped one of the best jewels, man. And this is the reason why Gucci Mane and uh, artists like Little B are part of pop culture, why they're loved. And not only artists like them, but there's so many artists as a fan, as a, as a creative, you might think, yo, why is this person so successful? And they might not be the most lyrically inclined artist, but why they're, why they're so popping? I think Baluto has some theories on that, why strategic planning is so important. Let's get it. Ron, Ron Gilmore, Gilmore Jr. Do the gig. There's one story that I want to know specifically when I think Tim and they, he was moving out or whatever and you had to find your own spot. So you went to church, you put a $100 bill in an envelope. I want, I want to know that story. Please tell me about that story, how it led to being Lauren Hill's keyboardist. Through Nate Jones, too. I, I was playing for Nate Jones. He had his own open mic and I met Lauren Hill's MD. Mm-hmm. At the time, is James Rouse. Mm-hmm. He was like, "You should audition for Lauren." And I was like, "No," <laughs> and you know, he was, but he insisted. And I think I was like, you know, I'll just come out and do it because I didn't think I was gonna get the gig. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I had I had got a church gig. I had found like a church gig, and I was playing there every week. It was at St. John's and uh, Rockaway in Queens. I was playing out there, and I was like playing. You know, I pay my. I believe in paying tithes, and so I you know did that while I was playing there. I remember Tim. They were moving out in July, and what had happened was when I went to the first Lauryn Hill like audition, she didn't want me to play for her. She was she didn't she wasn't fucking with me, <laughs> so I was, it was like whatever. Mm-hmm. And so then, I remember that was like on a Monday or a Tuesday. They were moving out like in the next Friday or some shit like that. So that was a Tuesday. They was moving out in two weeks, like the next Friday, and I was like, damn, I'm gonna have to find a place to live. And I remember I was going to church, and I went to the audition, like, that Tuesday and Wednesday. Actually, I missed the first audition because I was late, and I had to do a gig, and so I just missed it. And then I made the second one. I went on a Wednesday and made the second one. She didn't fuck with me. I went to church that Sunday night. I just put, like, my, my last hundred and, like, the tithe offering. I put it in the envelope, and I wrote on it, like, place to live. And I put the envelope in, and I was just, you know, whatever. It's a faith thing. What happened was that Sunday, that night, I got a call, like, you got the Lauryn Hill gig. And I was like, what? Like, I didn't think she wanted me to do it. And they was like, nah, you got the gig. You got to come Monday, and you got to be prepared to stay there, like, stay there until we leave out for this gig. And I was like, wow. And so, and then during that time, some kind of weird way, I did a gig with a guy who knew a guy who helped me find, like, a place to stay. And it was, you know. It was soon thereafter, but that whole time when I was in lieu of finding a place to stay, I just stayed at, Lauren had this big house in Jersey, and we all just stayed there and rehearsed, and I just stayed there at this fucking house, and I was just chilling wow. until I could, until I, fi- I got the news that I had found a place to live, mm-hmm. and I just put all of my extra shit at that place to live, because I couldn't move in yet, because they still had a guy that was staying there, mm-hmm. and he was moving out after I would leave for tour. So I just put all my shit, I just stored it at their house, and then I went back to Lauren's house and stayed there, and then we left out on tour. Mm-hmm. And then, shit, and I was gone. Pluto. I can feel your waves. I've grown accustomed to you. I'm your slave. The way you sway your body, babe. It puts me in my grave. 
Any last thoughts that you wanted to leave uh, the people with, man? One quote that I always have. For all you artists, strategic thinking and planning will get you further than your skill, your voice, and your talent will ever get you. That is one thing I really try to preach to people. Like, if you think about, like, if, if I'm Little B, my music isn't going to pop on the radio. Strategic planning, putting that music where it needs to be, where people want to hear it, where people were, where you give it to people that will participate in calling him bass guide, that's smart. You know what I mean? He's bigger. He might not have the talent, but he has the talent within his brain of where to put that. You know what I mean? The strategic thinking of where should we place this instead of just saying, like, I'm great. I'm a great singer. I'll fit in anywhere. You put me in anywhere and I'll kill it because realistically that's not the case. So you got to think before before you uh, before you act because thinking is stronger than your skill any day, like any single day. That's a great example because when you think about Little B, the base god, and like his curse on Kevin Durant now that he's lifted and like how he's part of pop culture, yeah, and how he got there, and maybe the Gucci Men's where you know you know his music may not, may not be the best lyricist in the world, but like think about how revered these people are. And how did that happen? And how did they get there? Strategic thinking, man. It's, yeah. it's putting it where it needs to be. It's putting it in this corner and not this corner. You know what I mean? Because it will, it will excel in this corner and it won't excel in that corner. That's, it's smart, man. It's like I used to always think that like, well, how does this guy do it? Because he doesn't have the talent to be there. But it's like, yo, Kaz told me, he's like, yo, you know it's a talent placing the music where it will excel, right? That, that's the hustle. That's the hustle part. It's like you can give it to the people with the money or the people who will enjoy the music, you know what I mean, or the people who won't like it. What are you going to do? you got to be talented enough to know where to place your music, you know. Uh, it's all branding. It's all promo, like all that stuff. The brain is a muscle, man, and you got to think sometimes, and, and that is a talent in itself. And if you think and you do something and you get it right, bang, you just got your shot based off a thought that came out of thin air, you know what I mean? That, that's important. Like, that's important. Way more important than the talent that goes into it. My high notes aren't going to get me there. <laughs> the high notes that I sing and the stories that I sing aren't going to get me anywhere. It's the thinking that will get me there. It's the plans. It's the moves that we decide to make based off our thoughts and, and our ideas. You know what I mean? That's what will get us there any day of the week because the talent will never get you to where you want to be. The thought of where it should go will. That's what I believe. That's what I believe. Yo, that wraps up the Come Up Show Best of 2016 Part 1. Yo, what did you guys think? Yo, I was... <laughs> I'm really excited for what's about to come. We're not done yet, though. Next week, we're releasing Part 2. We're wrapping up the year strong. There's tons of my favorite interviews are in Part 2. But yo, please... Hit me up at info at thecomeupshow.com or comment at The Come Up Show on Twitter. I'd love to think what you think of part two, your favorite guests, how we can make this podcast better. Yo, if you're listening, I need your feedback, man. I need your communication. And there's been some people reaching out, but I need more people to reach out for me. Holler at your boy, Chetto, I, right? And I'll see you all next week. 
Best of 2016 Part 2, the come up show. Peace. Peace.